Good morning, church. May I invite you to turn with me to today's scripture, which is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. This can be found on page 562 of the church Bible. Isaiah, chapter 11. Hear then what Holy Scripture says. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked, Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear, their young will lie together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the, as the waters cover the, the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile toward Ephraim. They will swoop down the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together, they will plunder the people to the east. They will subdue Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that anyone can cross over in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria, as there, was from Israel, as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. G'day. Uh, my name is Daniel, and uh, I work with international students uh, and, and local students at, at Deakin University. Um, and one thing um, that I notice as I look at the world, uh, both on campus and uh, broadly around, is that there is a narrative that shapes many, much of what we do, and that narrative is a quest to make things better, um, wanting the world to be a better place. I think this desire shapes much of what we do. Uh, if you think about raising kids, uh, you never hear someone say, oh, I just want to give, um, give my little child or the little child uh, minimal opportunities. It's always... We want the best for the next generation. We want to make their world better. We want to give them the better opportunities. 
And when you meet someone and you talk about, you know, what do you do? Or what keeps you busy? Or why did you end up in that job? Or why did you decide to do that degree? Very often it's, well, I want to make the world a better place. Very often that's the motivation driving us. Um, For other people, it might be, oh, I wanted a stable job uh, because behind that, there's a motivation to want um, something better, to make your life better, to help the world and and the world that you can control be a better place. And this idea of making the world a better place drives so many of us and so much of what we do. Um, You could even think about it on a global scale, couldn't you? Uh, Maybe it's thinking about educating the world toward peace, uh, researching to end disease and suffering, making things better. On a personal scale, it's why so many of us get educated, isn't it? So that we can have a better life. It's why so many of us bother to get up on Monday morning and go to work or uni or whatever it is. It's to get ahead for something better. Even in our recreation, as we watch movies and TV and read books and all of that, we always like the happily ever after ending, don't we? Um, It's great when good conquers wrong, or good conquers bad. Why? Because that taps into our desire to look forward to something better, to look forward to right happening. Now, as we think about this longing and we think about this desire, uh, we need to come to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about it. Is this a right longing? Should we be looking for things to be better? And if this longing drives so much of what we do, does it ever actually get realised? Does it happen? And, And how does it happen? How do we make the world a better place? Now, these are the sorts of questions that the Bible answers, and I think our passage today answers. Um, as we're thinking through our vision, uh, vision uh, this month, uh, we haven't particularly planned for this sermon, uh, but I think it's helpful for us to see uh, what the Bible has to say about what we should long for, and that might help us understand our vision a bit better. So we're in Isaiah chapter 11. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open. Uh, we're going to be looking through it and seeing what God has to say. Uh, We need to understand our context, don't we? We need to understand the context of Isaiah chapter 11. Up here in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, through up until this point, through chapters 1 to 10, um, we've seen that God has given his judgment on people. Um, They were a people, God's people were a people who needed something better. Up until this point, you'll see a picture coming up on the screen. Um, God's people are just like this. Um, They were once a rich forest, but now they've been cut down. All that's left is barren trees, smouldering stumps, a felled forest. It's not unlike when bushfires race through the bush, leaving nothing but smouldering and charred remains. That's what God's people look like. They need something better. The enemy superpowers have been coming and surging forward, trying to attack God's people, um, and the water, um, is, it, they're surging forward like, 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 a, like a big wave, like floodwaters, like a tsunami coming at them. And the water is, is rising and rising and rising. And their neighbours, their cousins next door, they've been flooded out and moved. God's people themselves, they have their water coming up to their necks. And they're just about to be flooded out. 
They're in a really horrible situation. The situation is really dire, and this is all happening. Why? Because God has told his people there is no peace. This is happening because you have ignored me. You have rebelled against me. Your leaders are unjust. You turn to other gods, and all you give me is lip service. And so that's the context in Isaiah chapter 11. Coming up to Isaiah chapter 11, there have been glimpses of hope, but generally it's all just merely glimpses. There's a lot of judgment. And our passage today, Isaiah chapter 11, it's the first real boost God's people get. It's the first real hope they get to see. They've been handed their just, but very heavy and very depressing sentence. And in this bleak picture, God's rebellious people are told, I'll send you a saviour. If you you go to the next slide, God's people get told um, they're getting a God-given saviour. See the picture in verse 1. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his root, a branch will bear fruit. Remember that picture of a barren forest in the middle of what was once a forest that's now stumps? There is a shoot growing, a branch coming up, something bearing fruit. Right now it's springtime and I love seeing glimpses of new life everywhere. I love seeing the shoots coming up. I love seeing the flowers. It's beautiful, isn't it? Our mood lifts as we farewell winter. There is more spring in our step. Yeah. In the context of a charred forest, where there's nothing but smoldering remains, there's a tiny shoot, isn't there? And what do we learn about this shoot? The stump is Jesse's. Jesse is King David's father. So this shoot that is rising up from the ashes has royal blood. He is the king. And he is God's given saviour. Now, you might be saying, okay, I can understand how he might be the king, but how is he God's given saviour? Where did we get that from? What makes him God-given? I want to show you two reasons from the passage. Firstly, verse 2 tells us that he has God's spirit. Verse 2, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. He has God's Spirit. That's the first reason. The second reason is that by God's Spirit, this God-given Saviour will do what, nothing, uh, what otherwise humanity is unable to do. Uh, he will do what no human can do otherwise. Verse 3. And he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but... With righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. CSAC is an Anglican church. Uh, And uh, as part of the Anglican church, uh, we are governed by all things Anglican in some ways. Uh, And I've just spent the last few days at Synod. Synod is like the parliament of the Anglican Church. Uh, and as Anglicans, uh, we're, we're primarily Christians at the core. Um, and so you would expect at Synod 
or within the Anglican Church, that there would be agreement, that there will be fellowship with one another because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. You would expect um, that within the governance of the church, of the Anglican Church, there to be good for justice to be upheld, for justice to be pursued. And that's true in many respects. But that's not the totality of the picture, is it? Because at Synod, we heard many stories of hurt. We heard many stories of people who had been hurt by the church, where justice didn't seem to prevail, where the governance of the Anglican church had not pursued justice and truth in the way it should have. And so despite being a Christian organization, despite the many intentions for good, uh, for the right governance in the Anglican church, there were also many examples of failings, where mistakes were made, where people did wrong. And so if a Christian organization who tries to do the best can't even pursue justice uh, completely and and truly and fully, um, that leaves us wanting more, doesn't it? That helps us see um, that this God-given Savior who does um, judge with justice and righteousness is so much better. What does Isaiah say? He says he doesn't judge by what he sees or what he hears, as if he could be deceived. He knows the truth. He doesn't have unconscious bias. He cares for the needy. He cares for the poor. He cares for the vulnerable. And he will judge with righteousness. How can he do that? How can he succeed in justice where even a Christian organization like the Anglican Church can fail? It's because he is God's spirit. He has wisdom as God does. He has understanding as God does. He has knowledge as God does. And so he can judge rightly as God does. Isaiah chapter 11 says that a God-given spirit, a God-given spirit-filled saviour was coming. And 700 years after Isaiah 11 was written, Uh, we hear in Matthew chapter 3, it's going to come up on the screen, we hear about who this person is. Matthew chapter 3 verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Jesus is this Spirit-filled saviour. The Israelites, remember, they were nothing. They were a barren forest. They were told to look forward to this spirit-filled saviour. And who do, we get, who do we see that person is? It's Jesus. And so today, if we go back to our next slide, um, it's the same thing for us today. For Christians, we look forward to this same saviour. We still look to Jesus. When the injustices of the world look bleak, when we face suffering and difficulty, when we're told it's wrong to, to be against same-sex marriage, when we're horrified about, about the vulnerable who are not cared for, 
And I'm thinking about the March for the Babies last week. And I'm thinking about the recent abortion law in Queensland. When we think about the vulnerable, when we face and feel hurt in our relationships, and you know in the reality of life you don't have to think very hard to remember a time when you have been hurt, to remember a time when there has been injustice, Amidst this pain, we look to Jesus as the God-given Saviour, as the one who is spirit-filled. You might be asking, why? What's the point of looking to him? Why should we bother? What does he do? What does he bring? We're at point two in the next slide. It's because he makes things better. Jesus makes things better. Close your eyes. I know it's dangerous for me as a preacher to tell you to close your eyes. But this imagery from Isaiah chapter 11, you can check that I'm reading the Bible properly. Uh, this, This image from Isaiah chapter 11 is way too beautiful. It shows us how Jesus makes things better. It's a vivid picture of of, of safety and security. Let me read Isaiah uh, chapter 11 verse, verse 6 onwards. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. Can you picture that? Can you picture that? You can open your eyes. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? These verses aren't saying, oh, um, wolves are going to become vegetarians. That's not the point of this. This It's trying to paint a picture. It's trying to help us to understand what God's Saviour will bring. The, The peace, the safety, and the security. Up on the slides, you'll see um, my um, my child's my children, uh, Elijah and Eva. I love them. I always look for opportunities to put them up on the screen. Um, now, just on Friday, uh, Elijah was playing with a friend's dog. Now, my friend's dog is the most placid thing, um, very very gentle dog. But even then, even though I know this dog's never bitten anyone, is the most gentle dog. My friend was still holding onto the dog while Elijah was playing with her. And, and there was someone else holding Elijah while he was playing with the dog. The most gentle dog and my son, they still needed people around them to make sure that everything was okay. You know, is Elijah going to poke the dog's eyes? What's going to happen if he does? Will the, will the dog just snap and bite him? Now, can you imagine Elijah or Eva? with not just a dog, but a lion, and an unsupervised lion. Verse 6 is telling us that a child will lead a lion. You can take the picture down. The picture in Isaiah is a picture of peace. It's a picture of safety. It's a picture of security, of comfort. That's that's. That's next level, isn't it? It's beyond what we can imagine. It's better than our experience. It's better than anything we could come up with. 
So why don't we see what we can come up with and think that it's going to be even better, okay? Let's think about what we can come up. Can you imagine a world without a risk assessment? Never having to do a risk assessment again. That would be so good. We'd never have to make child safety announcements from here. And we'd never have to deal with that barrier at the top of the steps. Now, that, that seems a bit petty. What about a world where there's no harassment? Where the hashtag MeToo campaign is just non-existent? What about a world where you never have to feel unsafe? Where it would be totally okay for a 13-year-old girl to have, uh, have a play date with a friend and then walk home in the middle of the night all by herself and there'd be no fear. How wonderful is that world? How good is that? And that's what God's Spirit-filled Saviour is bringing. World safety. World peace. How does he bring it? Notice from Isaiah, it's not through aid work. It's not through court systems or legislation. It's not through protests or petitioning government. It's not through education. As good as all these things may be, in verse 9, what does Isaiah say? They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. That is, the peace will come because, here we go, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Knowing God. You either know God, which leads to this peace, or you don't know him. You ignore God, which leads to judgment which leads to suffering, which leads to pain. If you read the first 10 chapters of Isaiah, that's what it was all about, the judgment, the arid desolation, the burning stumps, the felled trees. It all came because of rebellion against God. And the cure? Knowing God. Knowing God's spirit-filled saviour. Knowing Jesus. Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. Anyone who has seen me, has seen the Father. Jesus, the God-given, Spirit-filled Saviour, He's the one who brings peace. And as we turn to Him, as we know Him, we can look forward to true peace. We can look forward to true comfort, something beyond all of our experiences. But how does this happen? How does turning to Jesus allow us to look forward to this? It's because as He brings peace... He also brings in a people to himself. He establishes a new kingdom where he rules with peace and justice. We're at point three. Jesus is a kingdom builder. The context of Isaiah 11 is a barren forest, remember? It's not that exciting to have peace amongst a barren forest. It's pretty quiet already. And so what if there's a shoot coming up to establish peace amongst fallen trees? Jesus is doing more than that. He's also raising up the whole forest. He's bringing to life his people. He's establishing his whole kingdom. You see the people streaming in in verse 10. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. 
In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. See how they're coming in? By turning to and following Jesus. Verse 12, he will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. In battles, you raise up a banner, or you used to raise up a banner, so you know who to follow, so you know where you're going. God's Savior will make it clear for his people. Those who know him, those who have turned to him, remember the previous point, they will see his banner and flock to him. Just like a duck and its ducklings. You can see a picture of a duck and his ducklings. Ducklings know their mother. They follow her around. If you see them, I don't know, if you go to a lake at this time of the year, you might see some ducks and ducklings. It's quite a fun, fun thing to watch. The little ducklings follow their mother around because she points them to food. She keeps them safe. She tells them where to go. And so she looks after them, and so they follow her. We, we can go back to the next slide. In the same way, God's people follow God. God's people follow Jesus as he raises his banner. And notice that they are coming from everywhere, from the four corners of the earth, from every direction. Now, does that remind you of our vision, of our vision of being multicultural and multilingual? God's people flocking to him from all over the earth? This kingdom that that, that Jesus is establishing is a wonderful kingdom. It's a, a kingdom where peace reigns. And remember that peace uh, that we talked about earlier where, 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 where a little Elijah can, can, can bring a line around and it's all safe and good? Well, verse 13 reminds us that also there is no infighting within God's people. Verse 13, Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile toward Ephraim. And remember that safety uh, where, where a, a child could put his hand into a viper's nest and, and there would be no harm or nothing to be destroyed. Well, verse 14 talks about the enemies being dealt with, and so it is safe. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will subdue Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. And verse 15 and verse 16 explain to us that there will be no dangers either. As people come to, to Jesus, as they follow Jesus, rivers will be easy to cross. The wilderness will have highways through it so they can get to him easily. Verse 15 and 16. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that anyone can cross over in sandals. There will be a highway, over, a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria, as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. People are able to come easily to God's Savior. People are very easily able to get to the banner and to be with Jesus. This is how the world is being made a better place. By a God-given, Spirit-filled Savior who brings peace and justice and makes it easy for His people to come to Him.
And this is so different from what the world tells us, isn't it? This is so different from what the world tells us. Up in the slide, you'll see um, a quote from Nelson Mandela. This is what the world says. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to, uh, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. What Mandela is saying is that the way we make a world, the world a better place, the way we eradicate racism and hatred and violence, according to Mandela, it's through going to school. It's through education, teaching us to love. But here in Isaiah, we see that peace comes from knowing God. Peace comes as we look to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, don't be fooled by humanism. Don't be fooled that we can make the world a better place ourselves without God. That we can fix all the problems of the world if only we try harder. No, that's not true. It's only God's appointed, God's spirit-filled saviour who can do that. And this is a wonderful reality, isn't it? It's wonderful because it means it's not up to us anymore. There's no burden, there's no pressure, there's no, there's no, there's no stress on us to be more positive, to educate more people, to find every cure, to love deeper, to make the world a better existence. Now, don't get me wrong. I think these things are wonderful. If you can research and find the cure to, to educate a six-month-old so that they sleep through the night, please come speak to me. I'll pay you. These are great things. But brothers and sisters, we don't do these things um, as if we're going to make the world a better place and fix all of the world's problems by them. That's such a heavy burden that we cannot bear. That's not something that's up to us. We do these things instead because of Jesus. Because he is the one who establishes God's kingdom of peace. He is the one who establishes God's kingdom of justice. And ultimately, he is the one who makes the world the best place. And so let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. In the midst of the turmoil of the world as we think about all the suffering that goes on, as we think about the difficulties we face, remember that there is a hope for something better and that it doesn't depend on us, but rather we see it as we look to Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for Jesus. In the pain and in the suffering that we might feel, as we look at the injustices of the world and we see the struggles of so many people, we thank you that we can look to Jesus. We thank you for the peace that he brings, for the justice that he brings, and for the comfort he gives us. Father, as we think about our vision this month, 
And as we think about uh, what it looks like in the future, Father, help us to to see uh, what Jesus is doing, bringing a people to himself from all over the world. We pray that we would keep trusting in Jesus through it all and keep living in response to that. In Jesus' name, amen.